Welcome to episode 98 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the vault studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who received a copy of my Galatians commentary before I did, mm-hmm. John Scott Sloat. Doc, what's going on? I'm a little salty. <laughs> I know. I text. <laughs> I, I I got your Galatians commentary in the mail yesterday. First one I've ever purchased. Um, yeah. Clearly, Amazon knew that. Yeah. Uh, I, I got it. I pulled it out. Took a picture of it. Sent it to you. Thought it thought it'd be fun. And then I got a I got a uh, not bitter, but but <laughs> but upset text in return. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I that I just I I don't enjoy the fact that. I did have not yet received my author's copies. So, how many copies do you normally get for, as an author? It really varies by contract. I think this one. My guess is it's ten. Okay, ten to fifteen. Um, it really varies by publisher and by contract and that sort of thing. So, um, but yeah, a little salty about that. Yeah, I still have not yet seen it in person. I'm I'm, I'm headed to ETS this I, week. I offered to bring it you for, for you to you did and uh, to allow you to thumb through my copy. <laughs> yeah, uh, how generous of you. <laughs> yes. So uh, this week at ETS at the at the in the in the book area will be the first time that I actually get to see it out in the wild. Okay. So where is ETS at this year? It is in Dallas Fort Worth. Okay. Have you have you been to Dallas Fort Worth for ETS before? No, no. I um, I'm trying to think. I've flown through the Dallas airport, but I've never been in Dallas. Okay, you're gonna go to Jerry World. I probably won't get a chance. Okay. Um, and then SBL, which I'm also going to, is in San Antonio, which I have been to San Antonio, and and ETS has been in San Antonio a couple times before. I hear San Antonio is lovely. They have a great Riverwalk area, which is yeah. really nice. Um, if you like Tex-Mex. That's the place to be. So. Obviously, and and how are the book sales of ETS? What's the what's the situation there? It varies by publisher. Uh, many of them are either forty or fifty percent off of retail. So <sighs> lovely, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a chance to to add to the library to be sure. Hmm. So, so do you take a checked bag with you so you can load it up with books, or do you ship I, them home? How does I that used work? to, but now m- most publishers offer free shipping. After the conference, oh, that's great! If you, as long as you buy a certain amount, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it, it just as long as you're willing to wait a couple of weeks to get the books themselves, it's it's the way to go. Yeah, because you know nowadays checked bags cost money, so you're adding, oh, yeah. you know, thirty forty dollars to your to your trip, unless you're on an intercontinental flight. Yes, or on Southwest. Yes, that's true. I did not fly Southwest this time. So. Or have a certain status level. Yeah, I, I don't fly nearly enough to be anywhere near those kind of status yeah. <laughs> So, Well, if you'd like to get in touch with the podcast, um, you can find us on Twitter at VNSPod. Email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. Facebook and YouTube, you can find us as Various and Sundry Podcast as well. And John, I forgot to check whether we had any new reviews before right. we came on air. So, well, keep stalling. I'll check. There you go. Yes, um, the the studio today is quite cold. It's quite cold outside. Generally, it is. we actually got our first snow of the year last uh, yesterday and last night. I was a little caught off guard by the. 
I mean, there's probably an inch, to inch, inch and a half out there. It didn't really do much on the roads, though it got them a little bit slick, got kind of froze over there. So, And a, a decent amount of ice. Our, our yeah. maintenance guys were, were out throwing around salt this morning. I think they were a little little caught off guard. Yeah. I mean, and, and shout out to our fizz plant guys because we had a major power outage on Friday night. Yes, a sinister squirrel yes. um, got into a transformer. <laughs> I, my understanding is he did not live to tell the tale of that. <laughs> well, that's happened before too. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. what was it, four or five years ago, same thing happened. Squirrel yes. got into a transformer, yep. fried himself and yep. fried the campus. Yes. Uh, so that, that knocked out power on parts of campus Friday night, including the internet, from what I understand, from like 7 in the evening till like 2.30 in the morning. It apparently took some printers on campus offline because I had students show up to class this morning saying, couldn't print out my homework. Printers were out. Yeah, that hasn't that has not, not been yet re- resolved at this point? Well, it was just the one student. Everybody okay. else seemed to find a way, but it was, it was this one student. Yes. Yeah. Can, can, Okay, here's a side note. We're, this is a totally free-flowing episode so far. Lovely. I am continually struck by the um, the inability of some students in this current generation, like high school and college students, to be problem solvers when it comes to um, what seem like pretty simple kinds of things. And that, that their internet savvy extends to social media. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to things like well, I have no idea how to do that, that it doesn't dawn on them there's this thing called Google. Yeah. That if you just type in how do I and then whatever you want to learn how to do, mm-hmm. you can pretty much find the answer to just about anything. Yeah. just I mean, so, I mean printing something on campus might be a little bit different because we have our own system and setup. Sure. But other students were able to figure this out. I mean, yeah. you, you could certainly figure this out. But anything, really anything, like you want to change the oil on your car, you want to figure out your personal finance situation, you want to know the best loans or find scholarships, all those things are available online. Yeah. That's the beauty of the information age. All right. Let's talk about the world of sports, John. I don't really want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a rough weekend for your J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Yes. Tell us what happened. Yeah, uh, they got beat bad, uh, quite bad. So yeah. uh, I think the Bills a little upset. They lost to Jacksonville last week and yeah. coming up against a weak opponent like the Jets, I mean, just, just steamrolled them. Yeah, yeah. So working out some aggression for sure by the Bills. Oh, yeah. 45 to 17 was was the final. Yeah, well – you know, we do have some Browns fans in the audience, and they didn't fare much better against the evil empire known as the Patriots. Yeah, forty-five to seven. Yeah, yeah, that, not good. That's that's ugly, ugly. One of the stranger results of the weekend was the Lions tying the Steelers, so they can at least claim they've not lost every game. That's right. They still have not won a game. Um, I have a friend of mine going to the Browns. Lions game next week and told me I wanted to go see the Browns win a game. And I'm kind of like, that might be your best shot. You know, the most favorable one. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a guarantee. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what to make. The NFL is weird. There were some other results this weekend that just kind of made you scratch your head. Like the week before Dallas just got absolutely destroyed by the Broncos. Yeah. And then this week they come out and they buried the Falcons. Yeah, 43 to 3. There were some big spreads this week. So, 
the Washington football team beat the Buccaneers? Yes. Without yes. Uh, without uh, your Ohio State boy. Chase Young. Chase Young. He got hurt, I forget, maybe like second quarter. He, yeah. They, they fear he's torn his ACL. Um, also, the 8-1 and Cardinals lost to the Carolina Panthers with Cam Newton at quarterback. Yes. What a world we live in <laughs> where Cam Newton has gone from – so injured he couldn't be on the Panthers anymore to the Patriots where he was a failure back to the back to Carolina where he beats one of the better teams in the NFL yeah I think if I got the quote correct uh they they asked him about it in the press conference afterwards and he said something to the effect of well a week ago I was eating a bowl of cereal watching the game so (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah weird weekend in the NFL um Packers beat the Seahawks Shut them out. Shut them out, which I'm always glad about. Anytime the Seahawks lose, we have their first-round draft pick this next year. Yeah. And that that keeps getting nicer and nicer each week. Yeah. Yep. That was the the battle of quarterbacks returning game because Aaron Rodgers coming off the COVID stuff and then Russell Wilson was back after a finger injury. Let's move on to uh, college football. So obviously we'll start with my interest, uh, Ohio State – Dodging the upset-minded Purdue Boilermakers. Yep. In convincing fashion, though, uh, the offense got back on track. They put up 59 points and just looked like the the sort of uh, unstoppable machine that uh, that they can be when they play to their potential. And uh, I saw a, s- a story this morning that that uh, C.J. Stroud, the quarterback for Ohio State, is now perhaps the leading candidate for the Heisman in terms of like betting odds at these. Really? Mm-hmm. I, guess, I guess I haven't heard of anybody else really. I mean the other guys that are kind of up there are Bryce Young, quarterback for uh, Alabama, and okay. Ken- Kenneth Walker, the running back from Michigan State, which is who Ohio State plays next weekend. Yeah. Hmm. So – uh, the big concern is Ohio State's defense reverted back to some bad tendencies. Gave up 31. Gave up 31. Yeah. And it could have been worse. could have been worse. So uh, Oklahoma finally lost. Praise the Lord. <laughs> that will upset maybe one or two of our listeners. But at the end of the day, they they were hanging on for dear life in most of these games. And finally it caught up to them. So Baylor beat them. And another bizarre result was – Kansas, one of the perennially worst teams in all of the Power Five, they beat Texas. So Texas, I think, has now lost like five straight games. Oh my goodness! They're, they're a dumpster fire. Yeah. So they they their new coach Steve Sarkeesian came over from, uh, I think he was at, I can't remember if he came over directly from Alabama or had another stop in between there, but he was supposed to be there sort of savior figure after them firing Tom Herman. This year they're worse than they were last year. So Yeah. Mm. Interesting. I mean that's that's a classic football power that has just fallen off the radar. Well hasn't have they been super good since Vince Young really? I guess they had Colt McCoy for a while. They had he Colt was pretty, McCoy. They got good. to the national title game, I think was that two thousand eleven? So about ten years it's ago been ten years since they were a team that was actually um that, that mattered on the national scene. Yeah. So a uh, lot of rebuilding to go through there. But uh, college basketball season's underway. Uh, I've caught a little bit of that. Caught a couple of Ohio State games. They're off to a slow start. They've won, but they don't look very impressive so far. Okay. 
not much. Uh, you know, early you don't get a ton of marquee matchups. There was they have this always have this little classic where, um, who was it? It was Kentucky and Duke, and then Kansas and Michigan State. So those are like marquee matchups. Oh sure, here. but uh, I I don't tend to pay much attention to college basketball until after college football is over. Sure. Um, I, I think around it's around Thanksgiving you can always find a good preseason tournament or something going on. Th- those are a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Yep. Yeah. But uh, And we have to check in on your uh, New York Knickerbockers here, John. What uh, What's the latest with them? Uh, I think the shine has worn off a little bit on the early season, so they're still trying to figure out how to play together. It's still early, uh, but they've come back down to earth a little bit from a hot start. Mm-hmm. Have you watched much NBA so far this year? No, not a ton. ton uh, I don't have. I don't pay for cable, and so it, lots of those games tend to be on network television. So yeah, that's true. That's true. So that is the world of sports, which brings us to our main topic for today, and we're going to talk about safetyism. Mm-hmm. So, John, tell us what in the world. Safetyism is so. Uh, this came out of oh, so goodness. I'm trying to remember when I read it. I think it was a few years ago. I read the book uh, "The Coddling of the American Mind," mm-hmm. um, specifically dealing with uh, this idea of safetyism at universities. Yeah, and I think you picked that up. When did you read that? Six months ago. That sounds about right. Okay. So uh, the idea of safetyism is the idea that we believe that, that it's kind of a – and I'm going to put this in my own words but, – but sort of a human right to feel safe, not just to be safe but to feel safe and to have that emotional sort of safety uh, in a particular space. Um, and I think the argument that Jonathan Haidt, the author, makes uh, – and I'm trying to remember who his co-author was. Uh, but Jonathan Haidt's the big name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lufkin, maybe? Uh, Anyway, uh, they they make the argument that not only is that not making people emotionally safe, it's making them unable to deal with difficult things in life uh, and and making them less resilient. Uh, And so I think that's the basic premise. It started out as an Atlantic article Mm -hmm. um, that then blossomed into a a full book. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think he is definitely on to something – I came across um, a sort of succinct-ish definition that Haidt wrote in a uh, in a brief article that uh, that obviously is drawn out of his book. Uh, he defines safetyism as a culture or belief system in which safety has become a sacred value which means that people become unwilling to make trade-offs demanded by other practical and moral concerns. Safety trumps everything else, no matter how unlikely or trivial the potential danger is. When children are raised in a culture of safetyism, which teaches them to stay emotionally safe while protecting them from every imaginable danger, it may set up a feedback loop Kids become more fragile and less resilient, which signals to adults that they need more protection, which then makes them even more fragile and less resilient. Mm-hmm. So that's his basic summary of what safetyism is. And it puts them in a, in a, in a loop, um, right. kind of this never-ending loop and spiral into yeah. uh, more safety yet less resilient, less safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So his, I think 
His primary target in in this is the sort of the the university culture, the university campus culture. Um, how, how do you think, or why do you think safety has become such a cultural idol? I mean, that's a big question. <laughs> that's why I'm coming to I, you, John. Yeah, yeah. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> who else? You know. Um, gosh, I don't know if I have r- really, really good answers to this. Um, I think there's some uh, physical safety things that came up that, that were legitimate. Uh, Seatbelts, smoking, so some of those things through the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and, the, and then eventually stranger danger uh, in the late 80s, early 90s that came along that, that really hyped this up. Um, and I think it, it kind of got out of hand. Um, and I, th- I think that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I'm, I'm not totally sure. Do you, do you have an inkling? I think that I have some ideas for some contributing factors. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't put this forward as like this is the source of it. But I think these are contributing factors. The first is the, um, the splintering of our culture in general. Mm-hmm. That as as culture continues to splinter, uh, both ideologically and in in so many different ways, that that has increased the perception of conflict, and um, as a result, I think there's been a, a a push towards, well, how do we try to mitigate the awful consequences of these things? And and you're right. I mean, th- there are some things that you think, well, yeah, we should probably try to mitigate sure. the, uh, the dangers of that. But uh, I think one of the things that that Height points out is how contrary that is to the sort of the the founding ideals of our particular country. That there's a sense in which our country was built on taking risks. Mm-hmm taking chances that had no guarantees of working out and that it was that sort of uh, – you could almost call it that kind of entrepreneurial spirit that is in part what has led to kind of the 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 success in many ways of the American experiment. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that factors into it. Yeah. I On, on the splintering, uh, do you think that – causes it or is it a is side effect? It's probably both. You know? I think it's probably mutually reinforcing. Yeah. I, I think that's probably right. I also think that um, part of what contributes to it is uh, this, this mindset that um, we've, come, we've come to realize, I think, the power that words have. And so as a result, the idea of safety has gone from the sort of physical safety, mm-hmm. you know, like you mentioned, it's probably a good idea to wear a seatbelt when driving a car. That sure. makes sense. Sure. That's that's a physical safety kind of thing. It makes sense to put locks on doors and, and those kinds of things to protect your physical safety. Where it seems like this has sort of jumped is in the area of the realm of ideas. Mm-hmm. That that it's perceived as any that pre, that presenting me with an idea that threatens my pre-existing views or my perception of reality in some ways is inherently dangerous, mm-hmm. and that I have the right to be protected from. 
that kind of challenge, that kind of of of, of being made uncomfortable by someone presenting views that go against what I have already concluded. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is an area where height emphasizes in the university culture itself of how that's become so prominent. And you see it worked out in multiple ways with uh, students protesting speakers who are invited to campus who might have a view that is a little out of step with sort of the the mainstream view on that particular uh, university campus. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, he uses – and they milk a lot out of it in the book, but Evergreen. Um, mm-hmm. if you were, was, it, was it Evergreen? Evermore? Evergreen, I think. Evergreen. That's out, that's out in Washington, right? Out in Washington uh, where basically, as they presented, the students held the campus hostage yeah. uh, for a few days. Uh, and you can go, you can go read about that. Type it into Google. You you can find. There's plenty out there. There's plenty out there on it. Um, plenty of reporting. But um, yeah, I I I do think that that is a problem when we begin to shout down uh, speakers and begin to um, when we begin to silence uh, voices that we mm-hmm. disagree with. Um, because I, I think the natural question to that is like. Who makes the decision over and what is the standard by which we decide what gets shut down yeah. uh, and what stays open? And to me, what it, what it reveals is a fundamental shift from an interest in truth mm-hmm. to a focus on power, mm-hmm. meaning that there's no longer – in some of these contexts at least – the idea of, well, sure, we should have a free exchange of ideas here. And we are convinced that our – our view is correct and it can withstand a contrary view, that it can withstand someone arguing against it. And that that sort of um, – to use to use a term that I probably need to explain more carefully, but that, that sort of classical liberalism, <laughs> not the sort of liberalism we're talking about politically, but the idea of in a free society – uh, the exchange of ideas is essential to a free people, and produces better ideas. Yes, uh, when ideas come together and collide, and you know, I've I've heard it put: ideas make war, ideas mm-hmm. uh, 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 collide and merge. We actually yeah. get better ideas. Yeah. So I think um, that that has created a context where, uh, when when you abandon truth. And the idea of truth, what is generally left behind is just assertions of power, mm-hmm. people maneuvering to exercise power so that their viewpoints are the dominant ones. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- that gives us a decent sense I think of uh, of that. I mean I, we've, we've kind of touched on this but any other kind of dangers of safetyism that, that, that you see in this? I mean I mean there is there is the fear particularly for – Shielding from ideas. Now, I think that I think there is a place to go. My goodness, we have this un, physically unsafe part of our culture, and we, we we need to we need to deal with that. That that needs to be more safe, or we need to eliminate it, or you know whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I do think there is a there is a fear, particularly with children who are protected in certain ways uh, to grow up and learn about other ways. And and to uh, say these people who are trying to keep me safe weren't trying to keep me safe. They're trying to keep me hostage. Mm-hmm. 
um, and they were lying to me. So I, yeah. I, I do think that's a fear um, that, that I have with this. Yeah, agreed. And I think that it it ends up discouraging critical thought, critical thinking mm-hmm. in the best sense. Yeah. That ideally, especially as we think about our context of being a liberal arts institution, that should be central to who we are in terms of encouraging critical thinking. The explanation of different viewpoints and trying to assess their respective merits and demerits and encouraging students to think now in our context from a biblical framework how to evaluate those different ideas and even how to evaluate different claims about the Bible itself, about what the Bible teaches or doesn't teach. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, we, we do students a disservice. If we if we shield them from that kind of clash of ideas, uh, because as as Height goes on to point out, I think it creates a lack of resiliency mm-hmm. in uh, in people in students in particular that doesn't prepare them well for life. Now, I, I think sometimes that, that criticism can be overplayed as if all students today lack resiliency. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. We, we, we both know students who have shown resiliency and grit, co- overcoming personal challenges, academic challenges, family challenges, sure. economic challenges. And think through things well and yeah. critically think, for sure. Yeah. So there can certainly be a, a sort of overgeneralization there when it comes to that thing. But I, I wanted to ask, um, how do you think this might show up in particular in the church? I mean, this is a cultural value. Yeah. That has that has permeated a lot of the aspects of our current cultural context. So inevitably, it's going to show up in the church in some form. Mm-hmm. Are there specific ways that you think this might show up in the church? Oh my goodness! Um, I don't even know where to start. I, I mean, I think of <laughs> fundamentalism a lot uh, uh-huh. when, when I think of this. Like, oh my goodness, these ideas are dangerous, and therefore mm-hmm. we've got to. We've got to remove them from our public schools or we've got to remove them from um, our churches or our pastors got to shout them down on Sunday morning or you, – you, you know. And we're seeing a lot of that again. Like, mm-hmm. like I, think, I think we're seeing a revitalization of – they wouldn't call themselves fundamentalists but, but a fundamental style mm-hmm. um, um, polemic that's out there. Mm-hmm. Would, would you agree with that? Yes, but with a qualification. <laughs> um, I think that um, if we're thinking of similar contexts, you know, I think, for example, um, let's just go ahead and step in it right here. Um, you know, there are some, you know, conservatives who are on the war path to eliminate any any vestige of CRT in the public schools. Sure. Okay. We'll use sure. that as our example. Okay. Now. Um, I find myself conflicted on those kinds of things because I I am more of the bent of, no, let's talk about the ideas. Let's present all of the ideas uh-huh. fairly and accurately and then sort it out. The challenge is, is that that doesn't happen yeah. in our current public school systems. And so that's why you have – so again, when you abandon the our goal is truth, mm-hmm. all you're left with is power. 
And so now you have conflicting assertions of power. You have people who are like, no, these ideas are good and important and valuable in our school systems. And so we need to teach kids about you know, CRT ideas from this perspective. And you have conservatives who are like, no, those ideas are destructive and dangerous. And there's no like, well, let's just have an open discussion about them yeah. and, and discuss their respective merits and demerits and go from there. Because we can't have those conversations anymore. Mm-hmm. Our culture doesn't value that. And so then all you're left with is assertions of truth of power, not searching for truth. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I was not thinking CRT for the for the church necessarily, although that is a hot button. I think of more of evolution, you know? Uh like mm-hmm. like, you know, it's kinda there's kind of a let's let's you know, we can't talk about this. It can't be taught in our Christian school or it can't be taught in our Mm-hmm. Sunday school for churches and yeah, you know that that was that was what I was thinking of. Okay. But I think CRT is a is an excellent example as well. Yeah, and and I think I think we have to distinguish that there are certain contexts for those conversations, and that in the church, you know, the church should be is and should be committed to truth, mm-hmm. the truth of what Scripture reveals. And so I'm not saying that well, yeah, we should just you know sort of give equal time in the pulpit for someone to come in and say, actually, uh, let me share about Islam in here. I'm yeah. not saying that. Yeah. But I do think that there that a church can create an environment where certain issues are just off limits to talk about. Even from a like, let's engage the ideas. Mm-hmm. It just becomes, that's bad. We don't talk about that. Yeah. It's, or it's dismissive. It's just like, that's bad. Why do we bother talking about that? Well, because in the process of talking about it, it actually sharpens our own understanding of the faith. And so I think some churches can have that kind of fear mentality that says, we don't even want to talk about that kind of thing for fear that somebody might be, you know, misled or led astray. Sure. I think, but don't we believe in the power of of the truth of God's word Mm -hmm. that we can't say, this is what this thing teaches. This is what this view teaches. Here's why it's deficient. Biblically, mm-hmm. but it's that it's that mentality that says we don't want to talk about it. We just don't even want to mention it. It's a slippery slope, Matt. It's a slippery slope. <laughs> sliding on down, sliding on down. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, how then do you think we can address this cultural idol? Let's start within the church. Yeah. What are some ways that we can uh, be counteractive towards against that? That tendency. Yep. Um, I, I I think I think of a couple of things. Practice, you mm-hmm. know, you know, practice having some of those conversations that make you uncomfortable, yeah, and that sharpen you. And you may come away from some of those conversations feeling like you lose, um, and that's okay. You know, it, it's going to force you to go back, reevaluate your argument, and perhaps make your argument better. Yeah. Um, so practice, and then and then make friends uh, with people who are not like you, mm-hmm. um, p- particularly on the on the ideas side of thing. Yeah. Um, side side of things, um, I, I think that helps, you know, because because you naturally get into those conversations. There's some trust there. There's mm-hmm. some okay. You you desire good uh, for our neighborhood or city, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. uh, despite uh, definitions of what good is. You know, you yeah. know, you desire um, flourishing, good uh, for those things. What what do you think of? I think that uh, what comes to mind in my to me is um, I think in the church we need to be willing to have conversations about these difficult subjects. I'm, and, and the pulpit is not 
Not necessarily not the place. Not necessarily the best context I agree. for that. I agree. Um, but first of all, a willingness to talk about these issues. And the second is that they need to be talked about in a way that uh, makes it clear that we've actually understood the opposing view, mm-hmm. actually understood it, not a caricature of it, but understood it yeah. and can articulate it even in a way that an advocate of that view would go, yep, that's what I think. Mm-hmm. Which is hard, which it's, is much harder to do. It is not easy. But then, but then I think a second part of that is to be able to evaluate those competing views, those alternative stories and narratives that are out there and to be able to say, here's what it gets right or Mm -hmm. partially right or here's the good instinct that seems to be embedded in this. Now, it goes horribly wrong after it leaves this point. But to be able to say they're on to something, there is something Mm -hmm. here. They just get the way to address it or even describing the problem horribly wrong or dangerously wrong. But to be able to affirm, say, there are some things we can we can acknowledge and say, I think they're onto something there. And then to come at it with a posture of humility, of of that sort of humble boldness mm-hmm. that says, we're committed to what God's word says here, but we don't need to be arrogant jerks about it. And I think that can be uh, some some ways to address that within the context of the church and even within the context of our situation here at a uh, at a Christian liberal arts institution mm-hmm. where we need to be able to demonstrate that. I think that um, for too many difficult issues, uh, we just can't have those kind of fair-minded, uh, generous conversations mm-hmm. because they too quickly devolve into arguments, sharp, pointed arguments that don't advance understanding and truth. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's those are some ways that we can perhaps address that. Uh, we'll have a couple links here in terms of um, resources. I, I have a link to that very brief introduction to safetyism that I quoted from, and then the book itself, uh, Jonathan Haidt, and I feel bad we've I've forgotten his. his I think it's name. Lufkin, Greg Something Lufkin, like if I remember the name. Uh, you can find that. Uh, we'll have a link to that book that kind of gets into that. And we'll do the link the Atlantic article okay, as well. That, something something great. that's a little bit more digestible. I'll also throw in there um, a link to uh, Jonathan Haidt's website, Heterodox Academy, uh, for people of differing uh, differing ideas to come together mm-hmm. have conversations. Uh, they have some wonderful resources like the John Stuart Mill second chapter on liberty and free speech um, that's illustrated on his website as well as they have a regular podcast and, and they're doing some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. I, I do want to add uh, before we move on, um, I do think a commitment to safetyism can be a significant threat to uh, the global mission of the church. Because hmm. if you've got people who are just deeply committed to, I should never be forced to make, be made uncomfortable or take any risks. Well, Inherent to the spread of the gospel in large parts of this world is taking risks of, mm-hmm. of stepping outside of your comfort zone and even potentially taking physical risks to your safety in order to get the gospel into difficult places. Well, in, in even for sharing the gospel at home, this should be a this would be a helpful Christian value to have, right? Because if I go, 
Matt, you're a sinner. You've rebelled against God, and you're going to you're going to uh, suffer eternal punishment for that. That's that's a pretty offensive statement. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, allowing people to to be able to feel that, I, I think, mm-hmm. is a is a good thing and something we should advocate for on a, on a widely cultural basis. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think um, helping people to get familiar with and okay with being made uncomfortable mm-hmm. is actually a good thing. And that if we can, if our if our culture continues down this path of elevating safety above everything, um, it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. I mean, things are going to become unsafe real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ironically speaking, yes, yes, of course. Okay, so we are at episode ninety-eight. John, we need an athlete. Okay, let, let's run through them. Uh, Tony Saragusa. Do you remember him? Goose. <laughs> yes, you do then. Okay. Uh, more as a sideline yeah. reporter yeah. Uh, than a on-field talent, but I believe he was with the Ravens. Is that he right? He was. Uh, Colts and Ravens. And, but I think he did get even more widely popular because he was a sort of off-the-wall. He's got um, a wild personality. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Julian, uh, Julian Peterson. Yep, linebacker for the 49ers, Seahawks, and Lions. I really don't remember him that Mm-mm. much. Uh, Robert Mathis. Yes, uh, a linebacker for the Colts uh, from 2003 to 2016, a pro bowler, eight-time pro bowler. So uh, that'll play well to our uh, primary listening area of the state of Indiana. Yep, yep, yep. And one more, John. Oh, do I have one more? Oh, wait, no, no, is that Ohio State? We're in Ohio I think state? we're on Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the page flips on us awkwardly there. Two Ohio State guys. The first is Pepper Johnson. Do you remember him? I mean, not you wouldn't have been necessarily a, a, around. Like he had a 13-year NFL career. So his end of his NFL career would have been at the beginning of your sort of football awareness. Played for the Giants. Uh, was a two-time All-American. He won five Super Bowls between wow. the teams that he was on. And he was referenced in a Seinfeld episode. But I didn't remember that. I just apparently that was – uh, he was referenced in a Seinfeld episode, and he was nicknamed Pepper because he put pepper on his cereal. Really? Have what? you ever heard of this? No. I, I went through a phase where I put pepper on lots of things, uh, but but never on cereal. Okay. Yeah, I, I've, I've not tried the cereal route. That seems it feels odd. aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> I feel unsafe. I don't know about aggressive. I feel unsafe. Okay. Yeah. And then the other one <laughs> is um, Joel Penton was a defensive tackle on the uh, national championship team, played from 2002 to 2006. And now he actually has a um, – he's like a traveling youth minister, does events oh. and that sort of stuff, kind of capitalizing on his time with the Buckeyes and travels to high schools and that sort of thing. So, Very cool. Yeah. You got uh, you got a preference out of this list here? Um I think probably Tony Saragusa. Yep, that's the right answer. Okay, okay. All right. One thing you liked. Uh, my dear friend Zach in Ohio uh, was here this last week and uh, and stayed the night at our house. First time that's ever happened. And, and so it was good to hang out with him. He got to interact with some of our students. And uh, it was it was good to, uh, to spend some time together. Yeah. And he did not alert me to his presence in, in, the, in town. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I realized that once he and I were having dinner in Warsaw. He goes, yeah, I forgot to text Doc and tell him I was here. I went, yep. Oh. Yep. Okay. 
Yeah, not pleased by that. Oh boy, not pleased. Zach, by that. you're in the you're in the doghouse. A little house. bit of the doghouse there for for Zach in Ohio. So, uh, for me, I am going to go with the podcast. It's called Glory Days. I think the subtitle is something like um, Dreams and Nightmares from the 2014 National Championship season. So it's two uh, players, Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer, who played on Ohio State's National Championship team in 2014. Hmm. And they tell a lot of behind-the-scenes kind of stories leading up to like the offseason and just Hmm. uh, kind of going game by game through the season and um, telling their memories of that. And it's, it's a great window into um, the Ohio State football program when Urban Meyer was a coach. Hmm. Um, that would be interesting. Lots of fun stories. Yeah. Uh, warning, there is some uh, salty language. It's got the little E on the uh, on the pod. Uh, I, it, it should. It's, it's, it's got a few uh, – yeah, yeah. I mean, they they it's are got, got a few explicit moments. They they are college, the former college football players, and uh, you know they they at times talk like what I, I assume. Yeah, as young men do. Yeah. talk. Yeah, <laughs> at a at an institution like Ohio State. So, and what's the name of the pod? One more time. Glory days. Glory days. Yep. So fascinating uh, look for. Uh, if you're into Ohio State football, it's definitely one to check out. But even if you're not into Ohio State football, it can be interesting to kind of get a behind-the-scenes uh, glimpse of uh, of a championship season. Hmm. So, all right, we have we've talked. My, my saltiness has come up a, a, as a recurring theme in this episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little nervous for your flight later today. Yeah, I'm getting on a plane and leaving for Texas. So. Uh, Going down to the ETS conference, Evangelical Theological Society, Bible Nerds Unite. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so I will be down in Texas. I'm looking forward to the warmer weather. That'll be nice. But we've talked a little sports. We've talked safetyism. Um, I've felt plenty unsafe by things that have happened to me, even this even in this episode. So, and. Uh, We've selected Tony Siragusa as our athlete. Goose. Goose, yes. We've talked about um, a a famous podcast listener coming to Winona Lake and not notifying me of his presence in town. Yep. And yep. we've talked about a podcast. So I, I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And so ready to call mission accomplished? Okay. All right. In light of that, all that's left to say is until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.